Hello and welcome to the Me and My Golf podcast. This is episode 16. I am your co-host, Piers Ward, joined with Andy Proudman. Today we're talking about five tips to become a more consistent driver of the golf ball. We hope you enjoy. Let's take charge of your game. So as you might be aware, we have a theme for every month at Me and My Golf and May's theme is all about driving. So we thought what better way to kickstart the month with five tips that are going to make you a more consistent driver. So, Mr. Pradman, how are you doing? You okay? I'm very good, thank you. Currently in California, we landed today, so um, it's currently actually quarter to five in the morning Back UK home. time. Um, and I think yeah, we're going to do this podcast and then head to bed and then so get you, cracking on tomorrow. So you've been up for 24 hours nearly. Pre- uh, yeah, pretty much. Pretty yeah. much. And about half an hour sleep. So half I'm good. I'm feeling sleep. good actually. I'm feeling good. Surprisingly good. I'm I'm wide awake. I'm <laughs> wide awake. So hey, look, we need to obviously make sure we're in the game here. So look, driving Andy. Look, it's you know we hear the the old drive for show, putt for dough analogy, but you know driving is massively important because if you can put it pretty much in play then you're going to save some shots. And I think for amateur golfers, they have more of an emotional tag to driving as well. So if they hit a drive out of bounds, you know, it can have a more of a, a, a mental influence on them, I suppose, when they are playing. And it's, it's, so it, it is important to be in control with the driver. Yeah, and you know what? It's more fun as well, isn't it? Look, you, you, know, it. you, you yeah. all want to hit the driver well. You know, you get so much satisfaction from hitting these new drivers that... If you can hit it and you can hit a long distance and get it in play, then you know golf is definitely a lot better from the fairway. Yeah, it is. Okay, so let's get straight into it. So, first thing, would you recommend that someone has a driver fitting? I think that's a very good, very good option. Piers. So yeah, look, <laughs> a driver fitting. Look, I mean, it, it's. Well, I mean, we recently did a video with Neil Wyan from the Belfry, one of the fitters there, and and we were recently fit, just recently as well. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's. It's massively important for anybody who questions whether they should be fitted for a driver or not. Don't question it. You need to go and book one because going to get fitted will will give the fitter so much information that he can really tailor a golf club to suit you. You're going to look at different head designs that might suit your shot shape or your just how you like the the club to look. But you've got you know things like shaft flex, shaft weight, depending on what sort of speed you are. Um, you've got different movable weights now in a lot of these golf clubs that you can change that to you know counteract a particular shot shape that you hit so there's so much benefit from going for a fitting that you can definitely minimize some of the poor shots that you generally hit and uh, you know it was highlighted the day Pierce in our fitting as well yes. just how um, how important it is and it's it's a nice feeling going to the golf course knowing you've had the experience of a fit and knowing that your equipment is suited to you. Yeah. It's a good feeling that, isn't it? I think so, definitely. I think maybe there is the one danger with modern... Look, the technology these days is amazing with adjustable drivers. The one thing that maybe could be against them is the fact that they are adjustable, that someone can buy one off the shelf and go, well, I can actually figure out from there myself what the Mm. best best fit for me is and what spec suits me. Now, of course, you can do that, but... These fitters, if they're a good fitter, they've got all the tricks of the trade, you know, like us as golf coaches have in different ways of getting mm. you to perform better with that club. And I think it's so the 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 knowledge, I mean, Neil who we were with the other day and Mark who we were with the other day, Neil Wayne and Mark Thistleton, you know, loads of knowledge and just absolute sort of experts of what they do. And if you can find a good fitter, it can really help you. Because as Andy said, they can change the shape of the shot that you're hitting without you having to change your golf swing. Now, of course, we'll always recommend as coaches 
that you need to do both. Yeah. And I think it's really actually good information for the for any coach as well. If someone's had a fitting just recently, it's really good information. And again, we'd always recommend that if you're having lessons and you want to go for a fitting, speak to your coach about what you want to take with you, uh, what information you want to take with you to that fitter as well. So the fitter understands where you're going with your golf, but also your coach can then understand what the fitter has done with you. Yeah, definitely. And you know, you, you, when you look at your driver flight, you might think it's okay, but it's amazing when you actually go and get fitted now on the, you know, the likes of a TrackMan mm-hmm. that can give you all this data, you know, on your launch conditions, you know, yeah. your launch rate, your launch angle, your spin rate, all these different things, your ball speed, and straight away he can make subtle adjustments in the club to either, you know, increase your spin or decrease your spin or increase your launch or whatever it might be to either give you a bit more accuracy, give you a bit more distance. And it's amazing there, a few little tweaks here and there all of a sudden can gain you either more consistency and more distance. So yeah. it's, it's certainly worth doing. And I think if anyone's thinking or, um, you know, questioning whether they should, don't question it, definitely go and get yourself Don't get it done. That. So I think, I think that the, the, the take home from us with this is, yes, of course, have a fitting, but make sure you have information before you go. So you have the information that you'd like to give that fitter based on whether it's from the golf coach or whether it's from your own goals and what have you. And then obviously listen to what the fitter says and then take that on board. And I think there's so many different things that you can learn, you know, as I say, the adjustable heads, the length of the shaft is a big one for me. I'm the more and more that I see amateur golfers, I want to see maybe a slightly shorter shaft because of the heel strike, Yeah. you know, and just more consistency as a result, you know, for me, put the ball in the fairway. It's much more fun hitting it a long way, but put the ball in the fairway. It makes it easier. Cool. All right. Okay. So let's go on to the next one, shall we? You still with us? You still awake? You know, you're good. very wide awake. Aren't I'm, you? Wide awake I'm impressed. Yes. I'm impressed. Okay. Number two, play with your shape. That's a, a very interesting proposition for a lot of golfers, isn't it? Someone who's fading the golf ball, for instance, gets on the first tee and wants to play a draw. Yeah. Sets up to play a draw, hits the fade. Gets on the second tee, sets up to play a draw, hits the fade. You think by the time they get to the third hole, they may learn, but maybe they don't. They don't. <laughs> so they don't. it's. And it's, it's interesting. Huge. We played with a guy um, last year, Pierce, and he's he generally fades it off the tee. Yes, he's you know his driver. He's, he fades it. Mr. Collins? No, it wasn't Mr. Collins. Somebody oh, else. Uh, I'm not going to mention his name. Um, but basically, he he's working on drawing the golf ball. So yes. he wants to draw it. He wants to draw it, but he's fading it. Like that's his stock shot at the moment, currently. Now, on the course, he's working at trying to draw it mm-hmm. on every tee shot. Draw it, but it went actually. He's fading it and he missed the majority of the fairways to the right yeah. when we played with him. And it just shows that when you're on the golf course, you know, let's say you go on the practice range before you go on the course. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're fading it on the, on the driving range when you're warming up, that's what you've got for that day. Yeah. So if you're generally got that little bit of a fade to the right and, you, and it's looking like you might be missing a couple to the right, well, look, put that into your plan. That's the shot that you're going to play on the golf course. Don't fight against that. Because as soon as you start fighting against, what, against what's sort of happening a little bit more naturally, it go, it golf becomes harder. It's going to yeah. be harder to the fairway. Um, you're going to be thinking a lot. You're going to include too many technical thoughts maybe as well, um, as opposed to just going, well, okay, this is part of my plan today. If I aim left side of the fairway off the tee and I do get a fade, great. If it goes straight, mm-hmm. great. But I'm going to more often than not be in the fairway and give myself the best chance. And it's something that we see all the time. Golfers are trying to get on the golf course and trying to fix their golf swing during play yeah. instead of going, what's my game like today? Okay, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm going to play with. 
if there's a predictable ball flight, then you have got to allow for it, of course. So the one thing I will say, the only counter argument I would say to what you're saying about someone trying to play a draw and they're hitting a fade, you may get the odd person who is actually trying to play a draw to stop their slice and they're getting a little bit of a fade as a result. And that's great as long as they're not missing the fairway right every yeah. time. So if you're somebody who has to feel like they're playing a draw to stop slicing it and you're just hitting and you're hitting a fade but it's hitting the fairway, then fantastic. But obviously, yeah, it makes no sense missing the fairway repeated times. No. Nope. Doing the same thing, definition of insanity. You know, we, we, we're insane as golfers a lot of the time, aren't we? Yep, you are. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so look, let's just, you know, again, the take home from that is, you know, if you have a shape and a natural shape, play it. If you want to change it, change it on the driving range and then maybe implement it in some social games on the golf course, but never, obviously never in a, in a tournament or competition. Okay, so... Number three, we like this one a lot. So allow, this is more of a statement here. So allow the toe of the club to pass the heel. So I'm trying to think who gave us this story. Who was who gave us this story? Was it Martin Hall? Um, it was either. I think it was. I know it was. It was either Martin Hall or Jim Sutty. Yeah, one of the was, two at um, Best Guy. I think it was right. Yeah, a long time ago. So basically, what we're talking about is a uh, Greg Norman was interviewed. Um, now Greg Norman, obviously. One of the best drivers the game has ever seen. So it would be strange not mentioning him, obviously, in the podcast. Um, and he's had lessons with Ledbetter, Harmon. You know, he's had coaching with two, two of the top instructors in the world. And he pretty much said the best lesson he ever had was when he first started playing golf, which I think was relatively late, maybe 17 or 18 years of age, um, was by his mother, who was a good golfer, who got him to hit the bush in the back garden yeah. with the toe of the club. Yeah. So he was getting the toe of his golf club and hitting it into the bush. So he was obviously getting this release through the golf ball. Now, maybe sometimes that scares a few people with, you know, using the hands too much and, oh, well, I could hook it and things like that. But we see the majority of golfers, the, especially slicing the golf ball, who are just not powerful with their driving, they are not putting the toe in the bush. Definitely not. So, you know, it's, I think, look, this is something that, like you say, Pierce, as a general maybe fault that we see. We see the breakdown of the lead arm and the lead wrist through the shot and the face isn't closing through the shot that well. So the face stays looking down the target line for a little bit too long. Whereas as we, you know, you mentioned with Greg Norman, sort of post impact quite quickly, the toe is very much passing the heel very quickly. And the great thing about this does, it, it really um, creates a good lofted impact. So mm. high ball speed, because we're not creating too much loft. Um, low spin as well, which is yep. great, and it really encourages a slightly more upward attack angle as well because we are creating that low loft and almost getting this sort of forehand mm -hmm. topspin-like yep. instead of this breakdown of the lead arm and wrist, which tends to add loft and weakens the shot. So you were demonstrating that perfectly then. I am, no I'm doing all the actions here <laughs> off, off, obviously, uh, off camera. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's massively important, and I'd say the majority of people who are listening to this podcast, yes. if they were to work post-impact on closing the club face, just like mm. Greg Norman did, they would hit the golf ball straighter and further. And, and you know what, it's, it's a very good comment. I'm glad you said that as well, because there will be some golfers around the world who would not benefit from doing yeah. that. And you'd find a lot of the guys maybe on the PGA Tour who would say, would you ever think about doing this? And they're probably thinking, no, not at all. No. That's the last thing I PGA want to think Tour about. PGA Tour guys don't need to do that. Exactly. Not too much. But that was something that Greg Norman did when he first started. It may even yeah. still be a thought that he has now, but... This is just something that he had when he first started playing the game, and it probably set him in good stead. I wouldn't say it's the, the reason why he 
won major championships, but he obviously was a, a very good piece of information from his mother yeah. early on. So, and do you know what the, the the majority of tour players as well, they don't struggle with a slice, let's say for instance, where the majority of amateurs do. So yeah. again, it's just from what we've seen from our experience of of coaching, um, obviously every week, and uh, you know the majority of guys are, I would say. Have less rotation of the face through the through the ball, certainly past impact. Yeah, no, totally agree. So, so yes, get it. that get that toe working past the heel, guys. <laughs> if you're if you're listening to this now, obviously you're either in your car or at the gym or on a walk somewhere. So when you get home, get that club out and start getting that toe in the in the bush <laughs> in the back garden. <laughs> the neighbours will be looking at them. What's he doing now? He does all these stupid things from me and my golf. He's doing another one now. <laughs> okay, number four. Um, take dead aim. Okay. Um, I mean, look, we've had. You know, I know that you've got a quote from Dr. Bob Rotella talking about this, Harvey Pennick. Maybe we should leave the quote, I think you should leave that quote for the end. You know, Harvey Pennick would talk about this, you know, taking dead aim. You know, I always say that if, if maybe for me, someone like who had to score a point on a dartboard, and I'm not very good at darts, apart from that one game we had just recently, but I, I, I wouldn't, I'm not very good at darts, so I would aim for the bullseye to get a point. So I'm aiming for the middle, the absolute middle. I'm taking dead aim so I can at least get something if I miss it. Yeah. And I think that's a very good way of thinking about it when you when you when you hit your drive. Yeah, it is. And do you know what? It's 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 quite easy to forget about aiming. It sounds mm -hmm. strange, but it's easy to stand on the tee, even if you let's say you play at your own your home golf course where you remember stand on the tee. You look at the fairway and you just aim for the fairway. Yeah. You don't you don't actually. Go right. I'm going to pick out that branch in the distance there, yeah. or that tree, and I'm going to really focus exactly on that tree. Um, you know, it's making sure that you can uh, you have a plan, but really pick that pick that specific spot exactly where you want to aim. Because as opposed to just aiming for, well, there's the fairway. It is difficult. I'm going to go with the quote, Pierce, because I think it's important. So, the quote is um, from Dr. Bob Rotella. He just says, "Aim small, miss more." So, the smaller you can make your target, the more specific it is then hopefully the, the smaller the miss is going to be if you are slightly off target. So if you're on the tee, you know, you can pick something high up in the trees, whether it be a, uh, a branch or just even just a tree or something, or you could pick out a stripe in the fairway or even just a line in the fairway. But pick, it, pick a small target, really focus on it, and just uh, it's just something different to think about on the tee, on, your, on the course as well, Peter. Yeah, I think so. And, and different things like that. No, it is. It's good. It's good. I think... You know, one of the clients that we have, Aaron Rives on uh, European Tour, is having a pretty good season and beginning of the year was not at his best and he felt, you know, in conversations with us that he wasn't being specific enough with his aim. You know, he was seeing the area he wanted to hit the ball in and he was shaping the ball into that area, often played a lot of shape, Aaron. Uh, but he didn't feel it was specific enough. So he actually worked really hard with us for a couple of weeks being more specific, and his form has actually improved quite a bit recently. So and he felt, because he'd maybe give himself too much room for error, Yes, he felt that his missed shots were bigger off because he was making it a little bit easier on himself, if that yeah. makes sense. So it just goes to show, doesn't it, Just you can easily just sort of get your target sort of widened a little bit and that can stretch your missed shots. Yeah, I think, and you know, so again, pre-shot routine. So that that's the take yep. home there. So obviously, you know, take dead aim, but use the pre-shot routine to help you do that. I always think of Lee Jansen doing a pre-shot routine where he point his club down the fairway and you know he looked like he was taking dead aim to me. Yeah. Well, right, okay, the fifth and final one. Now, of course, there could be more things that we could use for this, but 
rotate your pelvis. So when we talk about rotate your pelvis, I mean, you can think about this in your back and your downswing. But if we think about, you know, let, let's talk about let's talk about the downswing and the through swing, because we see the best golfers in the world when they're striking the golf ball, they have got their pelvis more open than when they started. So let's say they start at zero degrees. You'll find the best players in the world are anything from 30 to 60 degrees open when they're striking the golf ball. So a massive amount of rotation from that lower body. Now, what that does, obviously, it does a lot of things, but it's obviously, you know, recognized very much as a power source, but it's also recognized as hitting the, to hit the ball accurately as well. You know, we think of, again, someone like Aaron, but you think of someone like Jim Furyk, who's got an amazing amount of hip rotation, but that means that he then hasn't got to have as much forearm rotation through the golf ball as a result. So he's almost, you know, so this is one of the things that allows him to hit the golf ball straight, but it's massive for power as well, isn't it? It is, yeah. You know what? I think, you know, we talk about it all the time. If you can control your hips, you can control your golf swing. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's not easy to achieve that, what the tour pros do on the way down. Um, but being in control of the pelvis and having some awareness of the pelvis makes a huge difference. And, you know, even when it comes to the backswing as well, look, if we can create a good wind-up in the backswing, allowing the pelvis to turn, it's going to help you deliver the club on a, on a better path. It's going to help you get a little bit more behind the golf ball. So it's going to help you shift a bit of pressure to the right leg, help with starting the downswing a little bit more efficiently as well. And I think it has so many benefits if you can actually, you know, control that movement of the pelvis on the way back, because then it enables you to do things on the way down as well. Really. Yeah. So, you know, if you struggle with turning the hips, you can flare your right foot out, um, or That's your trail foot yeah. in the backswing. Um, if you struggle with clearing the hips on the way down, you can open up the, the lead foot as well. So there's certain things that you can do to allow for that. So that's certainly worth experimenting as well. Have a look at what your feet are doing. They don't need to be both facing at 12 o'clock. You can flare them out a little bit to allow for a bit more rotation. But certainly opening up the hips during the backswing and then opening up the hips in the downswing can, uh, can help with consistency and power also. Yeah, I think I think the, the way I would look at it as well. I mean, this is obviously isn't absolute, but if you if you're struggling to get the club coming from a little bit more inside on the way down, so a little bit more under the plane, you know, a little bit more hip turn in your backswing can really help you create that room for you in your backswing, to then allow your arms and the club to shallow in the downswing. Yeah. Conversely, if you wanted to actually, if you wanted to be feeling as though you're playing more of a fade and you maybe were getting the club too much under the plane on the downswing, by rotating more on your through swing and downswing with a lower body, you're going to find that that club will actually appear a little bit more out in front of you and help you create that fade. So, you know, understanding how the pelvis works from a, from a power point of view and an accuracy point of view, it is massive. And, you know, we're just actually planning break 90 at the moment um, after the success of break 100, the coaching plan. And there's a lot of work being done on the hips and the pelvis and making sure that the students and the people on the plan are going to understand how to use them. Yeah, look, if you can pivot correctly, um, it's a massive thing. And, you know, it's it's something that we're working on time and time again, Pierce, with a lot of with a lot of golfers. So it's something that I think every golfer should pay attention to. Yes. Um, are they pivoting well? Are they creating good hips in the backswing and downswing? You know, they, they everyone should be checking that. I know it's something that... Anytime I go on the range, I'm always working at some point yeah. on creating a good turn. Yes. Well, good pivot creates good pressure, which creates good power. Triple P. Triple P. Triple P from Piers.
Okay, so look, I mean, what we wanted to do with this, obviously, was just to sort of give you some very sort of simple thoughts on, you know, how you can, you know, what you're looking for with your driving. So, you know, maybe, you know, the first thing you need to do from here is look at getting a fitting, you know, give yourself a fitting so you can actually help get the club specced up to yourself. And then thinking about when you're on the golf course, playing with the shape that you have. And then if, you, if you're feeling that you're leaving that ball out to the right or you're losing a little bit of distance, number three, you want to allow the toe to pass the heel and then take dead aim and then have a think about how you want to work your pelvis in your golf swing because it can really help you if you can improve your back or your downswing or even both. Right, Mr. Proudman, you better get back to your room. You've got a quote to do. I've got a quote, though, got a quote, quote here. On, yeah, it better be a good one. It's a driving quote, and it is from Arnold Palmer. So That's a good one already. It's always then. a good one from him, isn't it? So uh, what other people may find um, in poetry or art um, or museums, I find in the flight of a good, good drive. Great so, quote. Uh, great words from Arnold Palmer there. Mr. Palmer. Yes. So, uh, guys, hope that helps. Some, some really useful information, and I think... Um, you know, some of those you may already do, some of them you may not. So take on board what applies to you and put them into action. That's what we want you to do with these podcasts, guys. Put them into action. And if you put them into action, you will see some improvement. If you only do one of these things, it's going to help you. It is. Cheers, guys. Thanks for watching. Actually, Thanks. no. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you <laughs> next time on the Me and My Golf podcast. Thanks, guys. So we hope you enjoyed episode 16 of the Me and My Golf podcast. If you did and you think any of your friends would benefit from that, Maybe share it with them, maybe not, if you don't want them to get too good. Uh, but look, our mission at Me and My Golf is to help as many golfers as we can, so it would mean a lot if you can share. Head over to iTunes and leave us a review and a comment. Uh, that would be fantastic also. And we'll see you next time on the Me and My Golf podcast.